This week on TechNATO, we'll be talking about the big Citrix breach. We'll also look at some news that came out of RSA, as well as an interview with Tanya Dudley from CoFence. That's all coming up on TechNATO, starting right now. And welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam. After a week hiatus at RSA, uh, I am back to restore order here. And I see that Don <laughs> is still here uh, because it's his office still. And we have Ronald Wong with us. Ronnie, how are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you, Peter. And thank you, uh, Don, for having me back after my fiasco last time. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever I did, I'm pretty sure it was bad. Yeah, I mean... We're when you broke into that giant racial tirade, Amanda... <laughs> it happens more often than you think, Don, so... Your three-week probation is over, and... Uh, Anger management classes are beginning, yeah, so but we're, we're fine. Yeah. yeah, we're fine. But uh, three strikes. <laughs> yeah, three strikes. <laughs> you know, remember, that's strike one. Uh, so we got a big show today. We've got an interview coming up with Tanya Dudley. Uh, she is with CoFence. We're going to talk about all things fishing uh, a little bit later. But in the meantime, uh, we have some news to get to. And the big story from this week involves Citrix. Uh, at nakedsecurity.sophos.com, Citrix admits attackers breached it, its network. What we know. And I assume Citrix only admits this because GDPR now? Uh, actually, you know, this is kind of a funny one. They don't have a choice but to admit <laughs> it because of how they found out. This is a really embarrassing breach for them because uh, basically attackers got into their network and were kind of roaming around. And Citrix didn't spot that. In fact, they got a call from the FBI one day, and the FBI said, hey, uh, we just want to let you know that attackers are in your network. And <laughs> so at that point, they were able to take action. Uh, they haven't announced exactly how long the attackers were in there or what information they got at. Uh, in fact, that's kind of what the whole purpose of the, the Naked Security article is. Uh, Sophos is a, a very trustworthy company, and they won't report on things that they can't prove factually. So uh, they go on to basically say there's just there's a lot of holes of information right now that we don't know. Citrix, if you're not familiar with them, they make remote desktop software that allows you to launch applications on a server but see them on a workstation screen. It is used by thousands of hospitals, government agencies, schools. I mean, it is used by some really, really big companies. And that means if they were breached, in theory, a number of these clients could have potentially been leapfrog victims off of this. So that's really, really bad. It sounds like the attack took the form of uh, weak credentials, mm -hmm. that uh, they were doing what was called credential spraying and, and managed to hit the credentials of one user to be able to get a foothold in the network. And once they were in, they started roaming around. Now, while Sophos uh, is a responsible journalistic entity, let's jump over to the register for a moment. <laughs> We know the register, uh, they will uh, report the moment they hear something uh, and not necessarily have to worry about verifying the details. But according to them, Iranian-backed hackers ransacked Citrix, swiped six terabyte of emails, documents, secrets, and uh, uh, and so on. So <laughs> th this very well may be true, may not, who knows. Uh, the, the Iranian hackers and the Russian hackers are, are usually the boogeymen that get blamed for most of these things. But the reality is, if an attacker was on their network for a period of time, Exfiltrating six terabytes of data is very, Huge. very reasonable. And if they're on the land, having access to things like source code, yeah, uh, it's almost a given. So I, I'm curious to see what will happen from this. I haven't seen like Citrix source code posted on GitHub yet or Pastebin or something, but uh, the ramifications of this could be could be pretty big. Yeah, so that's how you become an open source company. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. I guess we're open source now. <laughs> I, I don't think they can go open source because in the early days, they partnered with Microsoft. 
And I mean, like, really, where Microsoft owned half the software, and because the product used to be called Citrix WinFrame. Okay. And when Microsoft and them split off, they kind of changed its name to MetaFrame, and then it became Citrix XP, and now it's Citrix uh, uh, ZenApp, right? ZenApp. Uh, so it's gone through several name changes over the years, but I think some of their code base is still owned by Microsoft. So. Mm. I don't think they can go open source. Maybe this is their workaround. <laughs> we'll let the Iranians open source it for us. So, what is the uh, what's the takeaway for any anyone that uses um, Citrix right now? I mean, obviously, you know, update passwords and things, but assume that they may have used it as a backdoor into your system and and well, do some looking. Let, let me give you the worst case scenario. Right, an attacker is on Citrix's land. They have access to servers and so on. Citrix is obviously, uh, they have a build system in place where they build their closed source executables that they distribute out to the clients in the form of updates. An attacker could have snuck malware into the source code. It gets compiled as part of the product and it goes out as part of the regular updates, digitally signed with Citrix's actual key. You wouldn't be able to detect it. So at this moment, you know, this is one of those tough spots because with security, we're always telling people, do your updates, do your updates. But in this case, we need to take a moment and make sure that we know Citrix has has checked everything, that there isn't malicious code going in, there are official updates. So you might want to be a little sensitive updating your Citrix systems. It's a tough spot to be in because you want to do your updates to stay secure, but now you're at risk. So it, it's really bad. Uh, I actually know a handful of people that work at Citrix and stuff. I, I, don't, I don't wish them ill or anything. I hope they are able to overcome this and improve their security as a result. It's a, it's a tough way to learn that your security is not adequate. All right, well, Don's uh, <laughs> advice to you then is sit tight and pray. <laughs> Sounds like pretty much. <laughs> to whichever deity assists you in computer-related yeah. tasks. I would pray to all of them just to be to be safe. Go to, <laughs> go to any of them there. All right, well, let's shift gears now um, over to what I, I think is another reliable source, uh, VentureBeat. Uh, VentureBeat.com. Bruce Schneier, Schneier, I always say that one wrong, it, uh, says it's time for technologists to become lawmakers. And... Uh, Don, you said this is something he's been saying for a while, but this this happened out uh, at RSA. I must have missed it. Yeah, uh, we but. interviewed Bruce Schneier two years ago at RSA, mm -hmm. and I, I think it was two years ago. It was a while ago, maybe three years ago. It may have been three. It might have been the first time we were out there, 16, I think, 2016. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and we were talking about IoT threats, right? So Internet of Things is a mess. Half the devices that are out there are easy to compromise. You're hearing about uh, Nest devices getting compromised, weak passwords, routers. And at the time, Bruce said the solution here is for the government to get involved and regulate IoT. <laughs> now, depending on, on, on where you stand, right? Uh, if you're a Republican or a conservative, you believe in smaller government and regulation is bad, so that's not a good suggestion. Uh, if you are a technologist, getting the government involved in your technology is usually bad, bad. right? So, I mean, there's a number of ways where this is, is bad. But there's this, this little sliver of hope that maybe <laughs> you get the right people in place and they help to ensure that IoT devices are more <laughs> secure. But I will tell you, uh, I know Bruce is a very well-respected individual in the security industry and so on, uh, but I think this is an absolutely horrible yeah. idea. And if there's anybody who can screw it up, it's our government. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a terrible idea. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I think that because uh, a friend of mine, we, we started chatting about this not too long ago, and he said, oh, no, it's a great idea because technologists at least understand you know, all the details behind why technologies need to be pushed to the forefront, why they have to be protected and stuff. And I kind of argued with them, like, have you known anybody in government that's ever come back and said, let's make an improvement on it, and the improvement has actually been much better than what the original technology was about. And 
I could I couldn't name a single one where I thought, yeah, adding in government, uh, you know, or, or technologists in the government, it tends to change the technologists rather than the uh, uh, technology change or yeah, te- uh, the government changes the technologists rather than technologists changing the government. I don't know what's what's worse though, because what we have now is you've got Mark Zuckerberg uh, uh, <laughs> testifying to Congress and basically just explaining to them how to upload photos right. for their grandkids <laughs> and things like how does this internet work? And then you've got I think it was Japan we talked about in the past that that's right they put yeah. a, a, a security minister or someone in place that <laughs> had never used the computer. Yeah. So that's right. That's the other approach. So maybe maybe the extremes aren't the way to go. So I mean we could kind of change the headline uh, a little bit. That basically he's saying it's time for technologists to become politicians, yeah. right? That he's saying we need to get Mark Zuckerberg to run for yeah. office or we need uh, Bill Gates to be a senator and then maybe we can get some movement. But the reality is if you want to be a politician in the U.S. today, you kind of have to plan that early on in your life and you have to to set that trajectory. That's not an easy thing. And if you're a technologist, that's not something you even want to do. So uh, it, it's a messed up system. And right now, in, in my opinion, the only way we solve this is by voting with our dollar, yeah, right? right? That I won't buy a webcam from some company I've never heard of because mm-hmm. I know they're not going to secure it. I look to see, is there a reliable update history for this device? Is it a trustworthy company? And so on. That's you know, because I take the time to do that. But I know that most Americans don't, and they're slowly learning one by one as they get compromised that that's a, a bad way to do the business. Yeah, and it's strange because his call is really for technologists to really take this on as a career, right? So mm-hmm. he's he's essentially calling for technologists to say, no, you, you need to become policymakers. You you need to, to make this your own career. And I was like, once you start to do that, right, you tend to lose touch with whatever technology you're in anyways because you're too busy trying to make laws about it. So it was the same argument that, like I said, I had with my friend who, who just seemed to say, no, here's the six people that would do great. And I was like, and he mentioned uh, uh, Linus Torvalds. He said, he'd be a great lawmaker. And I was like, Linus tried to run a company. If I remember, I think yeah. you and I were talking about it. I was like, he wasn't really good at that. He, I don't know what makes you think. He's not a U.S. citizen yeah, either. Well, a US citizen. <laughs> John, John McAfee's been running that's, for president for, oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, for a few times, a while, I think. Yeah, so, yeah and he's a nutbag. I mean... <laughs> I'm just saying we've got options. So, uh, if we can bring back up the uh, the page there one more time, I think the the big tragedy is that shirt uh, that was clearly hacked. As well, <laughs> looks like a nice pinstripe shirt for those of you uh, listening to the audio version here. Nice, you know, pinstripe white and blue shirt, and just just a. I don't know. Is that lunch? No. <laughs> if you, if you stare at it just right, there's a sailboat that pops yeah. out. It's like three-dimensional. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't move, Bruce. Don't move. Well, it I really does it. look like he ate soup. And no, yeah. You know, Bruce is a great guy. He's certainly a little eccentric, uh, but he, he does a lot of good. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he really does push a lot of security to the forefront. I appreciate what he does. Uh, I think I've got one of his books on the shelf over there. Uh, but I, I think getting government more involved in IT security is, is not good a good thing. I mean, maybe doing proactive scan. Well, I mean, obviously, like the work the FBI is doing, <laughs> where they'll call you up and tell you hackers yeah. are in your that's network. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. that, that's a good start. That's appreciated. That's proactive, uh, you know, policing there. I like that. Um, all right. Well, let's move over to um, my one of my favorite sites for news. Uh, click on Detroit.com, uh, Detroit's <laughs> trusted news source. A new data breach hits more than 600,000 Michigan residents, and consumers are urged to be cautious. Well, that's a little late. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, So it looks like this is something that has affected um, uh, healthcare information? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, so they have uh, kind of a 
uh, like a not a state-run corporation, but a, a corporation that groups together medical care providers in the state of Michigan, uh, and they got breached. And as a result, a number of different companies, they list them off, uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, Health Alliance Plan, McLaren Healthcare, Three Rivers Health, and North Ottawa Community Health System. Uh, so all of their records were basically being handled by this one organization. It was breached, and so now all of those details go out. Now, when you hear about it, like a credit card company getting breached, it's not really that big of a deal at the end of the day. You got to change your credit card numbers. Your credit score might get messed around with or whatever. So we've kind of gotten used to it. I, I've been desensitized to it. But when it's healthcare, yeah. that's a bigger risk because you know maybe you've got your personal health information. Maybe you've got things in your health history that you don't want to get out and that could potentially get out. Now, I don't know the extent of this breach. You know, they, they say that the user identities uh, were compromised, but I don't know that it goes on to say anything else. It, apparently, it was uh, a ransomware attack where computers were encrypted. And the challenge with those ransomware attacks is once it is encrypted, you don't really know if they're exfiltrating it or not. Right. So they may have taken copies of things. And if they have copies of, uh, you know, your insurance claim justification forms, that tells you, you know, what treatments you had. Um, then potentially sensitive information for people could be getting out. And the register is now reporting that it was Iraq uh, responsible <laughs> for this attack. So. North Korea and Russia teamed up, too. <laughs> By the way, the, the reason I love Click on Detroit so much are uh, a couple of the headlines on the side. Um, can you choose the most depressing Disney movie scene? Um, so I guess they show you images there. Uh, and then my other favorite one yeah, here, okay, uh, Michigan woman mad about tomatoes throws cookie case and tries to jump the counter at Burger King. So a lot <laughs> oh, going yeah. on uh, in Detroit. Head on, head on over to clickondetroit.com you know, uh, for I the know, latest in I know Michigan it's not news. tech, but the depressing Disney scenes, there's Up. Where, okay, uh, you want to bring this up? Yeah, know, that, that is yeah, not clearly, clearly, oh, yeah, pretty man. depressing. If you didn't cry in the first five uh, minutes of that uh, sucker. Um, big Hero, big hero Six. Yeah, Big yeah. Hero Six. Yeah. Which so. I never saw the first five. I didn't see yeah. Yeah. Well, any of those. Uh, if you did. Lion King. Well, it says Lion King right few. there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't think it was sad when Mufasa died. He just oh, yeah. Circle of life, right? right? I mean, yeah. it was like yeah. Elton John Dumbo. was telling me the whole time okay. it's fine. Now, well. uh, <laughs> Dumbo was sad, yeah, right? Was, yeah, the mom. Well, the new Dumbo, the live action Dumbo coming soon to a theater near you. Live action with more CG than you could shake a stick at? No, I'm, I'm pretty sure they trained a... It's people in a, elephant an costumes? An elephant. A, a stunt elephant. All right, the rest of these are dumb. We digress. dumb, whatever. All right, so... Are we supposed to guess them? Because it says the names right next to the... Uh, I'm pretty sure there were more than six on that page, too. <laughs> we should have gone with the Burger King article. I knew it. Because there is video. Next time. Next time. Next Technado. Next on Technado. Yeah, Burger, Burger King. King. Tomatoes. All right, uh, let's head over to bleepingcomputer.com now. Uh, <laughs> Samsung Galaxy S10 face recognition can easily be bypassed. Who'd have guessed? Uh, Ronnie, this is a story <laughs> you found, and, uh, I, you know, my face recognizes now that Don looks shocked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I actually put this in that channel so that, because I knew that Don hates face technology, so I thought, what... What a surprise for Don. So this is actually a great one for him to have to talk about for a few minutes. <laughs> I, have I complained about it on the podcast, how much I hate Face ID? You know, I, I Apple Face ID on Apple I, a lot. Yeah. Um, I, face this... ID has been so bad for me that I, my, my iPhone 10 is in a drawer back there, and I'm on my old iPhone 5S right now because I can use my fingerprint. Um, with the S10, I thought this was really interesting, though, because you hear about all the protection they put in right. there to say you can't just hold up a picture of somebody because it senses uh, you know, whether they're three-dimensional or not. Well, somebody got the bright yeah. idea. What if I take a video of yeah. the person's face and I hold the video up and it works? It works. <laughs> so, so much for that. 
Yeah, he's yeah. actually got video of uh, himself yeah, doing, doing it, it on this, <laughs> this site, so you can check it out and watch for yourself. That looks uh, looks like a lot of fun. Now, in the in the video thumbnail, at least, he's right behind his camera, so maybe, maybe it's a... such a good facial recognition that it can see through objects. Well, I think that's probably just a staged photo, right? <laughs> no. <there. 'Cause> it, <laughs> it, it uses radar. Yeah. <laughs> really? Now, Windows Hello, right? Yeah. I, on your laptop. Uh, my, my new laptop has it. Uh, it's got the infrared cameras. Where not only can it sense whether you're 3D, but it can also sense temperature to right. know like that you're still alive. That would defeat something like this. Well, the phone's and hot. I think. Well, I guess that's true, isn't <laughs> it? Especially if it's a Samsung phone. Yeah. Hey, no. oh, where's the rim shot? I don't know. We don't know the rim shot. I can do the laughing. We have a laugh track. <laughs> it should have happened right at the joke, but right. oh well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Face ID. I still don't get it. Like the the fingerprints seem pretty secure, but Everybody started going to Face ID and saying it was more secure. Uh, Windows does the same thing where they want you to do a PIN to log in. Right. Like, no, a PIN is more secure than your password. And it just it seems odd what everybody's promoting is more secure these days. What if you don't have fingers? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think that the the big push against was the the password, right? How insecure they really can be, especially in today's technology. So I think for most people, anything besides a password is going to be considered more secure, even if they can't prove it. I, I just want to have, like, I don't know, a little tray that comes out and you spit in it, and that's how you authenticate. Oh. That was just... Yeah, but then I'm going to carry around a vial <laughs> yeah. of, of warm, warm Don spit <laughs> wow. that I can just pour on my computer. <laughs> Sentence I never thought I'd say. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, never say it again. Let's shift that's gears again. Uh, over to Tom's Hardware. Uh, Adobe Shockwave will be discontinued on April 9th, oh. and yeah. um, the news to me here is that Adobe Shockwave had not yet been discontinued. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Isn't didn't like? Didn't, I remember this on. I know we went away from like ninety five years yeah. ago. <laughs> so we talked about this briefly before the podcast, but just to to catch you all up, I also was shocked that you know this thing is still around. Uh, no pun intended. I'm being shocked. Mm. Uh, but you know when you talk about Shockwave, you start thinking about sites like Homestar Runner and the old uh, Jedi, the college years videos, and you know all this old Flash animation stuff and and Shockwave back when it was. Macromedia was the company that owned yeah. it, got acquired by Adobe. Uh, Adobe is not known for providing decent security or security at all. Uh, and so to see an ancient product like this still being supported is amazing to me. But it was up until April 9th. So if you're relying on Shockwave, that'll be the last version. And it's already not secure. So uh, it's not like April 9th will be some big moment on your calendar. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not going to get any better. It also says here Adobe is planning to kill Flash by 2020. Um, so we'll have to figure out something. We've got, we're on the clock. Yeah. We've got to figure out something to take the place of that. I think Steve Jobs killed Flash a while back. That's true. Yeah, he did. I'm surprised these days. Do do you guys actually use Flash at all? I know I've got it disabled, and I think there's like one site that I can't—I can't remember what it is that yeah, I've got. Yeah, there's to something that I run back on for. Every now and then, I'll come across yeah. a site, and and Chrome will do that warning, like, "Oh, you've got to enable Flash." And uh, and I'm surprised when you encounter right. this. HTML5 really killed off a lot yeah. of that. Uh, you've got persistent web apps now that that really take the place of it. I don't. I don't really understand why these technologies are still there, but I'm sure there's there's enterprises that have legacy systems and right. millions of dollars invested, and that's why it's still out there. All right, uh, let's head over to Slashdot now uh, on tech.slashdot.org. 
less than a month to go before Google breaks <laughs> hundreds of thousands of links all over the internet. So if Kim Kardashian wasn't able to break the internet, <laughs> apparently uh, Google thinks uh, they're going to take it on. So what what is this referring to, Don? Uh, this know? one this one caught my interest really fast. Like, oh man, something bad is going to happen. And and as a as a network administrator, anytime you see news like this, you need to be checking your network. Right. See, is this going to affect me? Uh, and then I read what they're talking about, and it's completely stupid. So uh, <laughs> basically. Picasso. Yeah. Picasso. Did, did either of you guys use Picasso? I did. Yeah, the photo. Yeah. Sharing. I loved Picasso. Yeah. And at one point, I had all of my family photos in there, all organized by year. And it did face identification. So I could say, show me pictures of my son. And, and it would, you know, pull up all the years and stuff. It was great. I loved it. Well, when Google launched Google Plus, which we're all very right. active Google Plus communicators. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I've been plussing things this whole episode. <laughs> yeah. Is that the verb? I don't know. I, I, plus, I never plus really used one. it. <laughs> now, the one thing I remember about Google Plus is when. When Don said, I'm moving away from Facebook, I'm going to jump on Google+. Plus. I remember this. And he started, and a week later, he was like, I'm done with it. Yeah, <laughs> That's stupid. what I remember. That was like, <laughs> He's like, that was so stupid. Did you last longer on Google+, Plus or on the Pixel? Uh, probably about the same. About the same, probably. <laughs> but I do remember that. He's like, nah, Facebook no. is done. Everybody's going to Google+. Plus. And he was on it for a week, and then he was yeah, done. Yeah, Google just they, they did not put their best foot forward on that one. But it didn't stop them from committing no. people to use it. So they took things like Picasa and rolled it into Google+. Plus right. So that if you shared any photo from inside of Picasa, the share was done with a Google+, Plus link. Well, Google announced last year they were killing off yeah. Google+, Plus, which, I mean, it's basically dead anyway. Um, but now there's all these historic links, all these Picasa links that are tied to Google+. And when Google+, Plus ends... Yeah. So do all these backlinks. Now, most of us, I mean, I, Peter, you, you work with web pages a good bit. Like, mm -hmm. when would you link a photo using a Google Plus link? I, you're, you're really, you're going to use S3 buckets or something else. This is, this is something that would really just affect home users. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't think of why you would link externally to that as opposed to something in your own mm -hmm. repository, so... So it's not a big risk for businesses, but for home users, maybe you have your family photos and so on that are that are tied to Picasso or tied to Google Plus. And if you have, you can just assume all the shares that you've created are broken. Uh, you know, Dropbox did something similar when they killed off Carousel, mm -hmm. and nobody got upset about that. I I liked Carousel as well. In fact, I had I had moved my photos from Picasso <laughs> to Carousel. So maybe maybe, maybe I'm you, the kiss yeah. <laughs> Where are your photos <laughs> now, so I can know to <laughs> make, make sure my photos are not on that. You know, actually, mine are in Google Photos now, oh, man. which. Okay. I always wonder, why do they have Google Photos when they already had Picasa? This is why. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm over on Amazon. Um, so, if you're away. relying on Google Plus links, though, do know that the day is coming. Uh, do they actually say the date in here? Um, in this very thorough uh, article? Yeah, it's a summary. If we go to the actual Greenspun <laughs> article, uh, we'll probably find a date. Oh, less than a month, right? So, yeah. <laughs> the timer's ticking. It's, it's probably tied to Brexit. I think it's right at the same time. Didn't Brexit? Well, never mind. Yeah. That's a whole <laughs> other thing. Yeah. yeah you're going to get Ronnie all worked up yeah. if you start talking about Brexit. Yeah. Actually, this reminds me of like uh, links on uh, Cisco's pages. You ever been to some of them where it's like, click here and find out more? And it's just like 404 is gone. It's just completely <laughs> It's just, already it's dead. Like, well, there's 10 links on the page, and nine of them are, are those links where it's like they're, they're gone. They're you know, gone. even the so. source article from Greenspun doesn't have yeah. when it's going to occur. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Less than a month from now. <laughs> this is journalism and reporting at our quality level. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> Just looking for other people to do the work for us. Uh, speaking of which, our next article is from someone else. Uh, ArsTechnica.com has this one. Uh, Google hardware makes cuts to laptop and tablet development, cancels products. So they're getting 
getting out of the uh, the social media game, and and now what does this mean? Are we uh, are we cutting back on our our Chromebooks now? All right, I I like Google. I, I used to use just tons of Google products, but you cannot count on them maintaining a service for more than a year anymore. They they just it's like they have a short attention span or ADD or something where they just bounce from idea to idea to idea. Uh, they were pushing uh, Android tablets for a mm-hmm. while. And then they decided, nah, Android tablets aren't really where it's at. Instead, the Chromebook, that's what you really want. And then they proceeded to launch numerous models of Chromebook, even a model where you could pop the monitor off so that it was effectively a tablet, a Chromebook tablet. Full circle. It it never it never bothered them that, oh, you know, things like on-screen keyboard and all that don't work very well, but it's fine. We'll, we'll push that off. People will love it. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to buy a $1,400 Chromebook. Yeah, true. They sell them. They sell Chromebooks that have like i7 processors in them and eight gigs of RAM, and and, and then it's just a web browser. Uh, so the, the Chromebook <laughs> is a, just a totally screwed up design. It's got great security. It's super stable. I've never crashed a Chromebook, but you get a lot of that because it's so limited in its functionality, and you can't charge a premium for that. You know, two hundred, three hundred, even four hundred dollar Chromebooks. Those those are successful. Yeah, the ones for students and and yeah. schools mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that those are. They, they really fill that niche perfectly. So what Google is doing is they're starting to kill a few things off, and, and they're trying to trim down that Chromebook line. Uh, I think they list the models in here somewhere, uh, but there's uh, there's basically just too many different sizes, too many different versions, and so they're going to trim that down and try and right-size it. The ones that aren't selling, they're going to try and end. Uh, I think you know, with like the $1,400 Chromebook, those, Google was using them internally with their employees all over the place, but outside, yeah, people just aren't buying those. It just doesn't make any sense. It's like they're doing their marketing internally and not actually going outside and realizing yeah. until they try and sell it and like, oh, nobody really wanted this. They ask, ask around the boardroom, yeah. would you, would you would buy you? a $1,400? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. It reminds me of the old, like the Detroit automakers yeah. where, uh, you know, we had the, the foreign car influx here in the U.S. People started buying Toyota and Nissan and Honda. And you would ask these, these like Ford executives, and they would look out their window, and all they would see were Fords up there, and they say, "We're doing fine." Uh, and business is booming. Yeah. Yeah. So. Granted, we get fifty percent off, but uh, whatever. Uh, all right, we're going to stay on Ars Technica now for a moment, uh, and another story that Ronnie found for us this week: uh, next Windows release will include DTrace support. So, um, you know, Ronnie, since you're here, why don't you? Tell us what DTrace is. Yeah, no, well, it, it actually <laughs> tell tells me. you right exactly yeah. there. Yeah, the very fact is a Unix tool that's been used for uh, a lot of great things in the past uh, for uh, Unix to be able to trace and do all, well, like it says, DTrace, uh, to, to do all these things that really don't, or Windows really didn't have the capability of doing. But now they're saying that they do, but there's a problem in how they're going to move forward with this. Uh, if if uh, you read through the whole article, is uh, because Windows has this kernel that per, or a kernel protection plus or plan or product. I can't remember. It's KPP. That's all I remember. Um, is that it's actually designed so that the DTrace can't get into the kernel, which apparently the DTrace relies on to, to make sure everything happens. So yeah. So you know, DTrace is a debugger, right. and when you when you have a crash, right? The crash is not normally caused by the primary executable of the application. Crashes, in a lot of cases, are caused by libraries that you're linking to. And so you need a debugger to see what, what the heck was your application doing with that library or, or, or you know, what libraries were even in use. And debuggers can share that. But because it's a crash, 
it's got to run in kernel space. It yeah. has to have access to that because the application space just crashed. <laughs> you can't yeah. get the data out of that. So it is important in the Unix world. They've had DTrace for a long time. Uh, introducing it in Windows will be interesting. You know, Microsoft has gotten a lot more friendly with open source technologies and, and bringing tools from other platforms over. And a good bit of that, I, I don't know if this one was, but Mark Rosinovich had mm-hmm. started porting. Right. It, was he involved in this? I think so. Okay. Uh, if you're not familiar with Mark Rosinovich, he created a lot of the sysinternals tools, uh, which, uh, you know, like the process kill utility and uh, what was the remote X- PS exec? Uh, yeah. A lot of these were tools that we already had in the Unix world, in the Linux world, uh, and he was creating equivalents inside of Windows. So this one, it'll be interesting to see what happens because technically every Windows install you do these days is a virtual machine. Even if you, you just install Windows 10, it's technically a virtual machine running on top of a, a hypervisor. And debugging in that environment is really, really tough. So it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out. It's always nice to have extra utilities for troubleshooting. And because it's one that's been around so long, because this was actually created for Solaris back in the day, that the documentation on it is really extensive, and that means it's a, a great tool to use. And we are one step closer to Don's uh, prediction of a... Uh of a Linux distro from Microsoft, another I, open source tool. I'm starting to doubt. Like They put <laughs> so much effort into recreating all of the Linux API calls and stuff to create the Windows subsystem for Linux that uh, I, I, it just seems like they could have... For how much did Red Hat sell for? $40 billion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. For $40 billion, they could have owned Red Hat yeah. and and had their own distro on a stable platform with a, a huge uh, just level of maturity. I think Microsoft is just not going to do it. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I might have to backtrack on my prediction. Wow. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're, you're going to give up your dream of a, of a cell phone computer tablet hybrid. Somebody's going to make that damn thing. Yeah. Because yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, they've been so one. successful in the past with that so far. Yeah. I know. <laughs> well, they, you've got to fail to get to, you know, it, it took Heinz, you know, 56 tries uh, of failure <laughs> or number before that last one uh, yeah. really worked out. And there were 39 WDs, right, before? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, Star 69, they tried and failed 68 times. Uh, I don't know if that's how that works. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> let's head over now uh, to a fun one. Uh, today at the independent.co.uk, uh, Tumblr porn ban. One-fifth of users have deserted the site <laughs> since it removed adult content. Um, yeah, that's kind of how, uh, how that works. If you, uh, if you remove something that everyone is coming there for, uh, they're not going to go there anymore. At, at uh, least a fifth. Yeah, at least, at least apparently a fifth. And the, the other uh, 80% are still just clicking around the site <laughs> looking, where was that link? <laughs> it was here. Uh, so, yeah, um, the not suitable for work ban includes any content, including photos, videos, GIFs, and illustrations that depict sex acts, which, I mean, that's that's what Tumblr was, wasn't it? So, you know, I'm surprised that you, you yeah. remember, Ronnie, back in the day, Ronnie yeah. and I used to work for uh, a uh, uh, training. classroom yeah. training company, and uh, we all started Tumblr blogs oh, back yes. in the day, right, so that we could blog out, because it was a blogging platform, yeah. and it looked slick, and so on. And after after a while, well, most of us kind yeah. of just ditched out. But yeah. uh, but you would tell people, "Hey, I've got a Tumblr blog," and they would say, "Isn't that the isn't that the porn site?" Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I never You're thought like, of I it that think way. It is, uh, yeah. <laughs> but then it turns out that they had a huge amount of porn yeah. on there, and they finally, I think they're they're trying to do either an IPO or they're trying to sell uh, or just get acquired or something, and they decided to clean up their image by eliminating adult content and. 
it's cost them a fifth of their user base. This is worse than like Twitter. With, with Twitter, you know, they'll lose a fifth of their users overnight because they filter out bots. Yeah. But here, like these are real people, real customers. <laughs> these were the lost. only real customers on Tumblr. <laughs> the other ones were the bots reading Don's old blog. There you go. Um, I love yeah. the quotes here, though. Um, there's there's a petition. <laughs> Um, with 600,000 people who <laughs> put back. their real name uh, <laughs> on there. Uh, but uh, the petition Demanding. quotes, uh, uh, let people post porn. It's 90% of the reason anybody is on this site in the first place. If you really want a non-18 and up Tumblr, then start a new one with that specific goal in mind. Don't rip down what people have spent years working on. But I wonder if they had said, you know what? We're putting a ban on all suitable for work stuff. If <laughs> if they would have lost four fifths of their traffic, so who who knows? We'll uh, we'll continue to monitor these numbers uh, and bring you weekly reports uh, on Technado yeah. moving forward. I mean, if they went all adult, wouldn't they just basically be Pornhub at that point? Yeah. Or, oh no, I guess they do blogging, not videos. I yeah, I don't know <laughs> enough about Tumblr. So it's I like guess, it's but. like penthouse letters. Yeah, the articles. I, I go there for the articles. I read Tumblr for the articles. I always have, <laughs> and, I, and I always will. Um, I'm, a, I'm a purist. That's just me, though. Yeah. You do you. Uh, all right, well, <laughs> let's uh, head over now. We do have an interview. We're going uh, to kick Ronnie out. We're going to bring in Tanya Dudley uh, from CoFence. We're going to find out. Uh, at CoFence used to be Fish Me, and, um, and Tanya was out there, too, with, uh, with Bruce Schneier and I at RSA. Um, hanging out, so we'll we'll find out all about that uh, coming up right after this on Technado. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well. It helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field, and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training, and last year alone they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV, I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. Welcome back to TechNATO, and as promised, we are now joined by Tanya Dudley, who is the Security Solutions Advisor at CoFence. How are you doing today, Tanya? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good, thank you. And so just to start off for those that maybe are not familiar with CoFence, which is uh, not as I thought a fence uh, for stolen goods, uh, it is uh, some sort of technology company, correct? Correct, we are a phishing defense uh, company. Most people know us as PhishMe, which we changed from that name a year ago to CoFence. And mainly the reason why we changed that name is because we are full phishing defense. We originally started with doing phishing simulation training, which is in the awareness, security awareness space. Um, but as we added more products to defend against phishing attacks, um, we broadened our reach and so kind of get people to understand that we're more than just phishing training. Okay, so just to kind of understand the services you guys uh, provide, I know in in our company once before we did one of those simulations where the uh, the CEO went out and and uh, and hired a company to basically to fish us, and uh, I think got a few. Is is that what you guys do essentially? Yeah, so our simulation platform is for companies that um, buy our solution. They uh, will simulate a phishing attack to their users to educate them on the real phishing dangers. Um, and then also we, as the company started and we started to realize that ultimately we want people to report these messages to their security team so that they can then, you know, respond to these incidents if it was a real fish. Um, so then we uh, created the phishing, the reporter button, which goes into Outlook um, for the user to report that fish. I um, mean, then as we started to get more of these 
reporter buttons deployed through organizations, then all of a sudden our security incident response teams were overwhelmed with all these phishing reports now. So then we developed triage. Um, like I said, we're that full phishing defense. And so triage allows that incident response team to analyze and um, put a little bit of automation into um, uh, analyzing the phishing attacks, finding those real um, phishing uh, threats and mitigating and analyze, analyzing those. Okay, so that's really cool. So there's a button there people can actually report it. Now, does that go to their system admin as well to let them know? Yeah, it stays with internal. It stays with internal. You can configure that to where you want that to go. Um, and then when we set, when we configure triage, when we install the solution, then we point that inbox to triage so that it gets ingested into uh, triage. So what it also will do is cluster those like messages together to kind of reduce that um, burden and overhead that an incident response person might have. You know, if they had to analyze each individual message that came in, that's burdensome, right? But if we can cluster those like messages together, tag them with some known threats that we have, that we feed into the, to triage, um, it helps bubble up that risk level so they can get to those phishing, real phishing uh, messages quicker. Now, you mentioned Microsoft Outlook on the on the client side. On the server side, does that mean this is like a, a Microsoft Exchange solution, or do you support any mail server? No, we support anything. And also with uh, Reporter, it does go across all types. So we have many types of uh, email uh, platforms that we integrate with. So it goes on to Gmail. It will go on to Lotus Notes. Crazy enough that there's still people that use Lotus Notes out there. It still fits into that. Um, so it does go across multiple uh, platforms. That's awesome. You know, we've actually talked to a couple of other vendors over the years, uh, like Nobefore and Wombat, that have they have that simulated phishing approach where they send out the email and, and see who can, they, they can trick. But I, I don't know that any of them actually have a, a platform that goes beyond that to help you take that and act upon it to stop the phishing emails. This is a problem that's really been ramping up over the last couple of years. You know, it used to be, used to be really rare that I get a phishing email I'd say I get at least one a day now. I, they are yeah. just you know hammering in. I, I, maybe I'm special or a, a good target. I don't know, but uh, but I get a you're lot. You're public, right? You're publicly known. Like I never got anything ever until a month ago when I when I did an, a public interview, and then all of a sudden now I'm now I'm getting some. I had never ever gotten any. Should I be worried that if I'm not getting like one a day, that that just means <laughs> right. I'm not noticing you're not them? Yeah. Like, <laughs> nope, you're you're no, of no value. No, everyone is a target. I'm sure you get them in your personal email account. Sure. <laughs> uh -oh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to did I get pwned uh, in a moment here and we've we'll had we've had some bizarre ones uh, uh, just the other week and you should have got one of these because I think everybody did uh, <laughs> there were these emails that they looked like they were coming from our CEO and uh, uh, Tim and it was it said hey I'm I'm currently in a meeting I'm kind of busy but I need some help I need you to purchase some iTunes gift cards to <laughs> send to me to give to one of our customers. And uh, I mean, it was just a bizarre, off-the-wall thing. Uh, I My immediate response to those things is I, I always respond back with something silly. I, I responded to that one and said, uh, uh, should it be $10,000 like the last time? <laughs> and <laughs> you have a little conversation. So to clarify, that was not real. No, that was okay. not real. <laughs> but we are seeing a spike in those. And they have gone away from just asking for money to now asking for gift cards and like it. It is it is evolving, and they continue to evolve their campaigns to make them more um, real that people are actually going to give them that fifty dollars, two hundred dollars that they're asking for. Because even those small little increments add up, right? Sure. Yeah, and I guess that's that's less suspicious than asking for 
um, you know, a cryptocurrency or something, but probably, um, you know, they're doing that so it's uh, harder to trace or, or to track back the, the funds. But that, that's really interesting. Um, so I'm curious, uh, what were, you were just at, at RSA. I, I was out there as well. And unfortunately, I was uh, trapped in our booth, so unable to get to your talks. But you had a couple of them. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you talked about there? Sure. So uh, on Wednesday, I did a lab on um, with uh, somebody that I partnered with at the Security Awareness Summit last August. So we did the same lab again <clears throat> for creating and building a phishing uh, training program. Um, it's amazing that people are still just now starting on, you know, getting into this um, space um, to train their users on this uh, threat. And then the second day, Thursday, I did one on automation versus human intuition. So at what points do you automate versus you still need to have somebody look at something, right? You can't automate everything um, and assume that you're going to not have false positives and miss an alert that is critical. That still needs a human to look at something to verify that, yeah, that's legit. So, you know, a, a lot of these attacks, uh, they've been getting more advanced. Uh, sometimes I, I've been receiving a few emails where there's actually like no link or no action item. It's really weird. It's just like a, a high and there's you know, various people's names in the, the CC field, almost like they're kind of trying to feel out what addresses are valid. Uh, it yeah. seems like these technologies are advancing and, and evolving a good bit. And I know you mentioned that uh, CoFence has been looking at a lot of different trending events and, and kind of mm -hmm. what what that direction is like in 2019. So what, how do you see that going? So what we see, because we have a phishing defense center where we actually manage that triage um, solution that I talked about, where we manage it for our customers. And so we're able to get some insight into what organizations are really seeing. Credential phishing is on the rise, and it's really uh, big right now as far as, you know, many people are going to the cloud. O365 is in the cloud. Um, attackers, threat actors are trying to get those credentials because they can get those credentials, and we see them get those credentials uh, make their way into the environment. They even get into inboxes to send out emails internally as if they're that that indivi that um, trusted individual in inside the organization. So we're seeing credential theft or credential phishing as a really big threat right now. What what is the what's the main end game? I, I know some of them do it for different reasons, right? Like some of them want to try and make money, but is there is there something other motivation, or is it really just all about making money? So I think there's two aspects, right? There's the consumer, you know, they're targeting consumers where they're trying to get, you know, ransomware, you know, get money. Then you have the, when they're targeting organizations um, and government entities where they're actually trying to get a foothold into that organization, right? For, you know, data breaches and other things that they're trying to gain from that organization. So it has a couple different aspects. So if we're targeting an organization, they're trying to get inside that organization to get whatever their IP or their data is that they have internally. So I'm a little curious from uh, kind of the, the lay perspective. You, you mentioned credential phishing. Um, mm -hmm. What what else would people be phishing for? Because that's kind of what I think of, or the things that I've seen is you know someone's trying to get you to log into your PayPal account or log into sure. to, to your email or something like that. What what are some of the other types of, of things people are looking for besides credentials? So uh, well, besides data, sometimes it's just getting um, trying to get drop malware into the organization, right? Because then it gets them a foothold into the organization. So clicking on a link that then installs something that you don't see it actually doing anything, but it's actually installing it in the background. Um, and then they're getting a foothold into that organization. Maybe if, if it's a consumer, maybe it's to drop a bot, right, to get, you know, expand their bot network. Um, so, you know, they maybe, maybe that 
that install is really installing a bot that they're leveraging then to send out more spam and phishing emails. Yeah, I know there were rumors that uh, when there was the big Sony breach the other year uh, for Sony, uh, the, the movie arm the of Sony, Sony yeah. Pictures, where yeah. uh, you know that all their machines got hit with ransomware and lockdown and all that. The, the rumor was that it started from a phishing email that compromised some creden- credentials that allowed them to get in and then do some real damage yep. behind the scenes. So, you know, it, it can yeah, turn so nasty fast. Yeah, so it's a multi-threat. Yeah, it's a multi-threaded, you know, attempt. Right? It's not just they're going to do one thing. It's they're going to do one thing and then another thing and another thing. So. Um, yeah, having been able to stand on the sea front line, uh, a major incident a few years back and getting to see that daily activity of what they're coming in and doing every day, it's eye opening. Um, and it is real. They really are coming into organizations, either stealing their IP, their data, or just then even like a small organization that works with bigger companies using that small company to make a foothold. You know, we talked about uh, Target, right? It was the HVAC um, supplier that was servicing that actually dropped the the malware that made it into Target. So they're, you know, the, they're doing the research and they're finding out ways to get into organizations. So what do you recommend that companies do to like be better, better prepared or to have some kind of defense against phishing like that? So obviously gateways are important, but they're not 100%. So that's why training your users to be, to look out for those messages and to report those as soon as they're finding them, we find that to be the most effective because you can put all the technical controls in place, but ultimately they're still going to find their way. They're learning their ways around these technology gateways to still get in. And so if you can you know, train your users to find them, identify and report, that's ultimately what's going to save the organization. When we talk about credential phishing, uh, multi-factor is a must. Um, we know that if you have multi-factor on, you know, it's harder for them to even make their way in because they don't have that second factor to, to authenticate. So we see that as a, a big advantage to helping stop that threat. We did see a customer where they actually had a credential attack come in, about 250 emails. Only one person actually gave away their credentials, but within 15 seconds, they were able to log into their payroll system and change their direct deposit. So they already knew enough about the organization that when they had success, it was scripted to go exactly where they wanted to go. So they're, they're doing their homework and they're, they know what they're after ultimately. You know, we had just reported a few weeks ago on a, a really sophisticated phishing attack where uh, the email contained a link, and you'd click on it, and it would take you to a imposter login page for, mm-hmm. I believe it was for Google accounts, if I remember correct. And, sure. I mean, Eve, Eve went down to the multi-factor authentication screen, and it would ask for the code. And when you typed in your code, you were just proxying through them, which sure. gave them the access token. So even, even multi-factor right. can be compromised. Sure, it can, right? It's not a, it's not a hundred percent foolproof, but it does, it does add that stumbling block. But if they're go- going to that level of sophistication, then they know a lot about you, and they're they're targeting you for a very specific reason. If they're going to that level, I feel they've earned it at that point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you just yeah, give so, up. Yeah, go for and it. Yeah, you can. The white flag. You can have it. I'm sorry. Uh, so I'm curious. I was I was looking at your um, uh, your bio here on the on the RSA. Um, uh, page and it mentioned uh, your you have a seat on the National Cybersecurity Society board. Can you tell us a little bit about that organization and and what you guys do there? Sure. So that organization um, is specifically helping small businesses. We know so small businesses do not have the resources to stand up the cybersecurity defenses that a large organization um, does. So it's to kind of give them access to some of those um, benefits and you know. Sh- training them on why cybersecurity is, is important, 
um, giving them some resources that other organizations offer for free um, or even at a discounted rate to kind of just teach them about the importance of you're a small business, you're still highly targeted, just like large organizations and maybe even more so because they're a foothold. Um, so just to help help out that way. Gotcha. And in my continued cyber stalking, uh, I've gone down your your LinkedIn, and I'm curious. I'm always I'm always curious to see. I have all these alerts going off on my, <laughs> yeah. on my profiles. Yeah. Well, I told you I'm going to try to social engineer you here. So uh, I, I'm 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 curious just about your journey to to how you got to where you are because it looks like you kind of started on a on a business analyst side, and and you know a lot of our our listeners are people that are uh, getting into IT and and starting that career path. So I'm I'm just curious. Um, if you can tell us a little bit about, about your, your path to where you're at and, and how you feel prepared you for, for what you're doing now. So uh, actually, initially I did 14 years in finance before even moving into IT. Um, and then once I was in IT, kind of took on, yeah, that business analyst role and project manager role. Um, and then, and then Sarbanes-Oxley came out and having that IT and finance background really helped with kind of understanding how we need to build controls and managing that whole um, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance framework. Um, so I did that for about five years and then I was ready to make that next move into what's next and cyber was starting to be that new big thing that was interesting and so um, made my way in by helping out with policies and standards and security exceptions. So kind of getting using that as my entry point to learn more about it, but having that experience in the background really helped. And then, like I said, I um, was then pulled into a major incident to help out with that, and that kind of bridged me over to security security architecture. And then uh, security awareness in 2011, I started doing security awareness, having all of that um, background knowledge really helped, but being able to take a security message that could be very technical and putting it into a business concept that, you know, end users could understand and understanding that security awareness is more than just a compliance checkbox. It's marketing to your, your, you know, your end user, making it in languages that they can understand and concepts. Um, so that's really kind of what, how I got started into security awareness. And that's kind of where I've been for the last few years. And, and then because I've used Cofence Fishme products since 2011, um, really kind of grown to know and become more expertise in in fishing training and actual real fishing itself. So you were actually a user before you you came to work for Copac? Yeah. Oh, yep. Cool. I've only been here for almost a year now. So yeah, I was a I was a customer and kind of my role that I have here is being able to um, help our customers with their programs and be that voice of the customer and then also internally give our teams that customer perspective, you know, as we enhance and build out our products to, you know, what, how does this help the customer and where's the pain points that um, the customer might, might, might gain from this. Gotcha. Uh, from our perceptions. We're, uh, we're talking with Tanya Dudley at CoFence, and, and Tanya, I know we um, talked a little bit about some of the reports you have uh, on your blog, uh, the the Fishing Defense Report from 2018, uh, and I know Don was asking about the other reports as, as well, um, the the predictions for 2019. So, is is that what you what you were saying is the uh, the credential fishing? Is that um, one of the big things you see moving forward? And is there anything else that um, that we should be looking out for uh, as we continue on 2019 here? Yeah, I mean, credential fish is the biggest thing. We're starting to see a little bit of um, ransomware pick up a little bit more again. Um, now that <clears throat> the crypto, you know, we saw ransomware kind of spike and then it kind of dropped when cryptocurrency took off, right? And then now 
crypto is kind of leveling off, maybe not as lucrative. And so we're starting to see ransomware pick up a little bit um, again. If people want to find out a little bit more about uh, what you guys have going on or, or, or connect with you, what are, what are the best ways to, to do that? Um, just our website, cofence.com. Uh, we have all of our solutions on there. We have, um, in addition to the products that I mentioned, we have our own threat intelligence that we we have that we provide. We also feed that back into our solution. So we we have our own research team that finds phishing threats and hands that off to our intelligence team, where they actually human human verify it and give those IOCs into feeds that organizations can purchase and feed into their systems. That we also feed back into our own solutions. So we'll feed it into triage as rules that could hit if you know users report a phishing email. We also take some of that content and feed it into our simulations so that our our <clears throat> operators can then simulate a real phishing message. So it's not just something that's made up; it's an actual real phishing message that aligns to what's the current threat. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to to speak with us today and. Uh, uh, I know uh, I I learned a little bit uh, in, in terms of all the ways that I've probably been fished in, in the last few days. So uh, <laughs> I've got some work to do after this. Sure. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but thank you uh, so much for taking the time. And hopefully uh, maybe we can connect back uh, near the end of the year and talk about some of the uh, um, kind of recapping what, what uh, sure. you know, were your predictions right <laughs> there right. in 2019 right. and what's moving forward. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much. And thank you all for watching. But stay tuned. We've got more Technado coming up right after this. My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. IT directors often hoard so much knowledge that it's hard for their team members to learn. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide this is important for me to learn. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. Welcome back to Technado. And uh, Don, I know we, we talked about we'd kind of done that internal phishing testing before. Is that the, the service we use? Do you know? Is that Did you set that up? or No, Tim set it up. It was, okay. a, it was a different service. Okay. Uh, but, you know, th there's a number of them that are out there. They all have a great product. Everybody should be doing fish testing in your, or fishing simulation, as she called that, that's a better term, uh, <laughs> inside of your environment. Because it is a great way to find out which of your employees are educated and which ones aren't. Uh, anybody who clicks on the link, you can identify them and then go and make them attend training. Uh, but they, you know, they go that step further and actually provide platforms to address the phishing and, uh, you know, actually filter real stuff coming in. So pretty cool stuff. So outside of the RSA conference um, last week, there was a woman in stilts uh, with a whole uh, yellow rain suit on, like uh, looks like uh, the fisherman. Uh, uh, Morton's fish. Yeah, the Morton's, Morton's the Gordon's, yeah. the Gordon's guy. They're giving out fish sticks. No, she had she had a fishing pole with a fish on it. Oh, and every time you'd walk by, she'd say, "Oh, good, you want it? You want it?" And no one uh, would interact with this woman. Um, but I was really curious to see, you know, if you took the fish, then if she would yell at you um, for falling for a phishing scam. But she was on stilts. She probably could have yanked her. Like <laughs> it seemed dangerous. <laughs> it, it seemed, she was outside and it, and it rained. It rained a lot, and so the raincoat. The, well, the, she had the raincoat on even when it wasn't oh. raining. Uh, I think it was part of the the get up to hide the stilts. But um, yeah, what a, I really don't know how that ended. So it's you a terrible should have story. lined up an interview. <laughs> I <should have> <laughs> that was an opportunity, yeah. Peter. Yeah. Next time, wasted. Yeah. Next time. Well. Um, I uh, I did watch the podcast from last week that I missed uh, because I was out of town and 
Uh, I know that my job is safe um, after hearing Don try to do the clothes. And yeah, find us on, we're on the internet and yeah. email us somewhere. And, uh, just just end the show. Uh, but we do want to let you know about a couple of things from IT Pro TV. First of all, uh, I've got some webinars coming up and actually one that we just did today on the undead of IT, supporting legacy systems with Adam Gordon. That's going to be posted very shortly uh, over at itpro.tv slash webinars. So you can still go and watch it even though you... Uh, if you missed it today. Uh, the next couple coming up, we've, we've got landing your dream IT job using LinkedIn. Uh, nice. Wes Bryan's going to be doing that. And then Microsoft certification test prep. There's a lot of new um, things with uh, the role-based certifications that Microsoft's doing. And we have uh, a couple of our Microsoft experts, Mike Roderick and Cherokee Boos, uh, to walk you through all that. So head over to itpro.tv slash webinars. You can uh, register for the upcoming ones and also go back and look at the, um, the past ones as well and uh, see what you missed. Uh, also, I want to let you know about an offer from IT Pro TV. Uh, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. We've got a 30% off coupon code for you uh, off of our already low prices uh, that we actually just dropped. So it is actually a, a fantastic deal and the best, uh, best deal you're ever going to get on IT Pro TV. Um, so head over there, and if you have a business and want to learn more for your team, uh, you can also request a team demo at go.itpro.tv slash technado. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Ronnie, for, for jumping in and joining us today. Pleasure. And, um, thank you, Don, for making sure that uh, my job was safe to come back to uh, <laughs> yeah. with your performance last week. And thank you all for watching, and we will see you next week right here on Technado.